Have you ever gone to a restaurant and just looked around at, at, at who's around you? I think it's fascinating to watch people. That might be a little bit weird, but I do. Uh, I think it's fascinating just to see some of the dam- dynamics and things playing, o- playing out around us uh, in any given situation. Uh, at restaurants in particular, you see a lot of couples there, and sometimes it's quite obvious this is like a first date. These people are just getting to know each other. And sometimes uh, it's quite obvious these, these two have been together for a really long time, right? They're probably not, e- they're probably not even talking to each other at this point, right? Is, is um, that what happens? happens when we go out? I don't know. Someone someone watch us sometime and tell us which one we are. Uh, yeah, so um, I remember our first date. I cannot forget our yeah. first date. Yeah. Well, I, I still remember it too. We, uh, we were college students in Abilene, Texas at a Christian university there. And um, I worked at a Jeep dealership and I drove a 75 CJ5, an old Jeep uh, that had no top to it and this big old uh, fun Jeep. Um, and uh, our first date was uh, a Wednesday night, and we were going to leave from a little church service. And uh, it was Sarah's first year in at university there, and um, so her parents uh, were back from the mission field for uh, that 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 year, and uh, they went to this church mentor lane. Uh, my aunt and uncle and their family went there, so we both ended up there. In hindsight, maybe that wasn't the best night to go out on our first date. I, I, you can't predict. You, there's no way to predict what happened that night. So uh, we leave the church uh, on our first date, and um, uh, two blocks from the church building, I got pulled over for the first time that evening. Uh, so all of our friends and family drive by on our first date with lights flashing, and we're sitting there in this open Jeep, like nowhere to hide in this moment. Um, and, uh, by the end of the night, we'd been pulled over three times, uh, all for a headlight out. Um, and I had the headlight in the car. It's just that the bolts were like rusted and I wasn't able to swap it out till I got to the dealership the next day. At any rate, we get pulled over three times, which for me was just kind of fun. I was just meeting, you know, the, some of our public servants. I was mortified. Yes. Okay. I was terrified. I'd never been pulled over by a cop before in the United States. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and having lived overseas, there's a different trauma and fear that goes with that. Uh, but it was a pretty normal evening from my perspective. We get to the, um, we get to the uh, coffee shop that we're going to, and I remember the nervousness, like, what do I order, and, you know, what's she going to think, or whatever, and then we're sitting there, uh, we played this game Rummy Cube that night, I think, and uh, at any rate, it was a good night, but I can only imagine what it would have been like to observe the beginning of that relationship, right? And today we're going to talk a little bit about relationship, and more in the context of our relationship with God, but one thing I know, relationships can be awkward, uh, they can be challenging, uh, but they're beautiful. We're wired for them, and it takes work to be in relationship. So we're going to continue today in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're, we've been through the first seven chapters, and we're in John chapter 8. And each of the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of the Gospels tells the story uh, of the life of Jesus, so the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And each Gospel kind of has its unique style and some unique characteristics. And one of the things we've seen come up in, in the Gospel of John is that John's whole purpose is is to show how Jesus is the Son of God and that believing in Jesus, um, the readers can have eternal life. And he, he does this throughout the gospel by telling the story of a sign, be it a miracle or a teaching, but the story of a sign, and then that points to who Jesus is. That points to who Jesus is. And then continually... 
also describing the response uh, to that. And, and some will respond with belief, and some will respond with unbelief. When, when Jesus um, speaks or, or, or does a miracle, some will accept him, and others will reject him. And I love how in John, um, he really describes the honest reaction. Like it's almost always a mixed reaction that Jesus receives. So in our text today, we'll be in John chapter 8, and I'll be in verse 12, as Jesus makes the first of a number of claims about himself as to his identity. Now, Jesus has already made a number of claims about being bread of life or or water uh, that will quench your thirst for eternity. Jesus is making huge claims about himself, and in this verse, he's going to speak of himself as the light of the world. Uh, When Jesus spoke, chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus makes a claim of himself. I am the light of the world. And here he's at the Festival of Tabernacles. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, one of the the major ceremonies was the water pouring ceremony. Another really important aspect of uh, this Festival of Tabernacles was the lighting of the lamps. And there were four huge lamps in the temple courts and the people would gather and there would be much celebration and, and singing and dancing and they would recite scripture as they lit these four lamps. And often, the, the scriptures that they would recite, they would remember, had to do with the Old Testament light metaphors. And so, let's talk about that. No, good job on that. Um, fun little thing from our perspective up here. I changed in the notes that you were going to cover that section because I didn't know it. Oh. Uh, and um, on your notes, you don't have that. So, good job uh, handling that You make that a one. good team. Yeah, tag I guess team. so. Tag team on that. So as we look back in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of references to the light and and the Lord being the light. In Exodus 13, verse 21, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And that's during the Exodus, God appears in the form of a cloud or fire so that God can shed light on the way. Psalm 27 verse 1 speaks of light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In Psalm 119 verse 105, some of you may be familiar with this one. The, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. And I love the connection to John here. Or, or, or I'm sure John was thinking about this as he was writing the Gospel of John when he wrote, and, and the word became flesh. Who's the word? Jesus is the word, the, the word that is a light. Psalm 67, one. may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. So in this context of this festival and the people celebrating God who is the light, God um, who has delivered them and continues to be with them, Jesus then stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am that light. I am the God of light, and this light brings life. It's very similar to that metaphor, the metaphor of 
the bread of life and the living water that brings life. Jesus says, I am the light. Now, to our ear, I think these metaphors are helpful. They enlighten. Uh, <laughs> enlighten. Uh, I see what you did little, there. Was that was it on purpose? No, that was an accident. Oh. It kind of tripped me up, in fact. Um, so these are these are beautiful metaphors, right? They they draw us in to understand a little bit more about who God is. However, um, in to Israel's ear. In the first century, these go much deeper than that. What Jesus claims here are huge. They're earth-shattering. His claims to be God, his claims to be the fulfillment of all this Old Testament prophecy and the promises of God. Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the Messiah in these metaphors that he draws upon from Israel's history. And so today he's made this huge claim, I am the light of the world. And John goes on to explain, as Sarah mentioned earlier, uh, both the belief and the disbelief of people. In verse 13, Uh, even as he spoke, many people believed in him. And this was the story of Jesus. He would travel from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue, teaching people and thousands, at times tens of thousands of people are following Jesus to hear what he teaches, to, to witness a miracle, maybe to be healed. For all these reasons, people are believing, placing their hope in him and following what will come next. But In contrast, there's incredible disbelief as well. In verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I think this is a hilarious little slight on Jesus. Uh, First of all, you see the incredible um, disdain, the hate for the Samaritan people uh, in them using that as some sort of slur against Jesus. Surely you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed. And Jesus responds, I am not demon-possessed, said Jesus, uh, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. It's fascinating to see Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of the day, saying, my life is bringing honor to God, and you are dishonoring both me and God in this context. And just in case the hearers were missing the point of what Jesus was saying, Jesus is very clear in verse 58. He says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple courts. So what was it that got them so angry that they were ready to to kill him right then and there? Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And that's going back again to the Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is at the burning bush. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. So I am what we would say in the the Hebrew word Yahweh is how we would say that. God's, this is God, what God calls himself. This is my name. I am, I exist, I have existed, I exist now, I will continue to exist, I am present, I am active, I am is, is the name that, that God calls himself. And so when Jesus stands up and say, hey, before Abraham was even born, our, our forefather, you know, before Abraham was even born, I am, he's saying, I am Yahweh. I am God. And the reaction was to kill him immediately and miraculously. I mean, if there's a crowd ready to kill him, 
It wouldn't make sense that he could sneak away, but miraculously, Jesus just slid out of their reach because his time had not yet come. So Jesus is making major claims about himself, and the question posed to the people there that day, then who truly is Jesus? Who is this man? Is he God as he claims to be? Is he the Messiah, or is he just another false prophet come to Israel? They're asking questions, and some respond with belief, and some with disbelief. I think we find ourselves in an interesting place now 2,000 years later, asking that very same question. So who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? And so we're going to spend the next few minutes kind of exploring that question on a number of different levels. Who is Jesus? We're going to look at kind of a, a cultural perspective on who does the world believe Jesus is around us? What, what, what are we going to hear as we walk the streets and as we have conversations? Who is Jesus from a cultural perspective? Secondly, who is Jesus from a scriptural perspective? So far, we've looked at Jesus's own claims about himself, uh, but let's see what New Testament authors and the people that followed Jesus said about him. And then third, we'll take a look at what we believe. Who do I believe Jesus to be? So we'll begin with the Barna Group. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Barna Group, but it is an organization that uh, conducts uh, research and surveys um, asking questions specifically of values and beliefs and attitudes and faith here in America. And so uh, Barna Group. So one of their surveys was in 2014, and they specifically asked, um, did Jesus exist? And this was interesting. Uh, 92% of Americans said, yes, Jesus was a real person. And this is across the board, Christian, non, not Christian, mm-hmm. other religions? Well, it's, yeah, and it's yeah, their right. sa- sample, mm-hmm. yep. their sample yep. uh, of adult Americans. 92% said Jesus was a real person. So the follow-up then on that survey was finish this statement, I believe Jesus was. And they had a few options there. 56% of American adults said that Jesus was God, 56%. 26% said he was only a religious leader or a spiritual leader, a lot like Muhammad or Buddha was. So like he was a religious leader. 18% said they weren't sure whether Jesus was divine or not. And I thought that was really interesting. 56%. I think that's higher than I would expect. It, it was higher than I expected, yeah. What's most interesting to me about those stats, though, um, is the 26% that say Jesus was a religious or a spiritual leader, a, a good guide, a, a good teacher, or something like that. Uh, it seems to me it, it's an awkward position to take, um, maybe even a category that shouldn't really exist, simply because if Jesus was... Uh, divine. If he, if he was God, well, then he proved it with his life. But if he wasn't truly God in nature, then he's saying the things an insane person would say, right? To make a claim that I am divine, that I am God. I can't imagine saying he's a really wise, good teacher if he's making that claim and not truly who he's claiming to be. He's, he's a madman at that point. Um, and I was I was thinking of a of, of an experience I had a number of years ago. Um, I had someone claim that he was Jesus reincarnate, that that he was God, and we were sitting in a coffee shop here in the Tri Cities. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, we didn't hang out a lot after that 
it, it kind of it, things kind of fizzled at that point, and I thought it's really interesting because that's exactly what's happening with so many people listening to Jesus claim in the first century in the Gospel of John. They hear that claim and they say this is absolutely ridiculous. But what's fascinating is that's not the story that plays on through history. So many people became convinced that this is. God in human form, that Christianity began and spread throughout the world, and we are the, the result of that movement. So then Bar- the Barna Group did uh, a more recent survey, and this was from December of 2022. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, they asked this question, um, do any of the following cause um, doubt in you? They ask of non-Christian people, of people who are not believers, what causes doubt about Christianity for you? And 42% of those people answered, the hypocrisy of religious people is what makes me not believe in Jesus. 42% of non-Christians said, it is hypocrisy that I see in the lives of Christians that makes me not want to be a Christian. Uh, In a little bit more detail, um, uh, they describe uh, two primary traits that they see in Christians. Non-Christian people, 49% of them said uh, that Christians are hypocritical, and 48% of them said that Christians are judgmental. The world looks at us and sees a hypocritical, judgmental people. And it's really significant that the top, the top reason for people not to believe in Jesus or to doubt Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus. Has nothing to do with Jesus, but rather it has to do with the church. It has to do with the people who claim to be Jesus' followers and then their lives don't reflect what Jesus, um, they don't reflect Jesus. So it really, I mean, looking at these stats really made me pause and think and, and ask questions. And I think we need to, as a, as a, as a community here and as a global church, a church at large, we need to be asking ourselves these questions and consider, are we an accurate reflection? of Jesus to our families, to our close friends, to our neighbors, in, in our smaller communities, in our nation, in our world? Are we reflecting Jesus? Jesus said in John 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. According to Jesus, the, the, the telltale sign that you are a Jesus follower is that you're loving each other, that we are loving each other. So what are we known for? What are you known for? What am I known for in my family, in, amongst my friends, uh, amongst the people I encounter that I don't know, just like those random interactions in the Tri-Cities and and, in our community at large. I wonder if you think about the different spheres in our community, say like the educational sphere or, or the science sphere or a field or the medical field. Like how is the church known in politics? Ouch. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how are the... Christian people, the Jesus of followers, what are they known for? What about in commerce? 
in how we handle money and power. I think it's a serious question for us to ask ourselves, both you know, individually and as a small community here at the Vine, and also uh, globally as Jesus followers. How are we known? And uh, and just be honest with that answer. That weighs heavy on me. Uh, Jesus' it's, it's words. The world will know you by your love. And then surveys that show were perceived as hypocritical and judgmental in the lives of people. Always heavy. So who is Jesus is the question we're asking right now. We've looked at kind of what our, our the culture around us believes of Jesus. Um, and secondly, we ask the question of what does Scripture have to say about his identity? Well, it's similar, obviously, to his own claims. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15, the Son, this is a first century author uh, writing to a church in um, Colossae, is that, what, what, yeah, is that correct? That sounded strange to me. Uh, um, so writing to a church saying, this is who we understand God to be. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the claim that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. That's beautiful language. That he was the agent in creation and continues to hold all things together. This was a belief of the first century church. You know, Jesus' own words also point to his identity in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, the son of man, the son of man. That's a title from Daniel seven. That is this prophecy that describes this human like person that comes down from heaven to bring deliverance and to reign forever. And Jesus, that's actually interesting fact, Jesus' favorite title for himself. He calls himself the son of man come to bring deliverance, to seek and save the lost, the savior, the Messiah. I love this idea of God pursuing the God creator, God, the the image of the invisible God pursuing us in order to save us. So having looked at Jesus' own claims to his identity, having looked at what culture around us says, having looked at what first century authors believed of Jesus' identity, we now turn our attention to ourselves. What do you believe about Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is Savior of humanity, and he is the hope for this world. When we begin this church planting journey, you heard me say in the welcome talk this morning, um, we, we committed to this, uh, these three pinnacle ideas, uh, belong, believe, become, and in that order, that we would be a place of belonging first, that anyone is welcome uh, to come, to belong in this place. Now, of course, we're followers of Jesus. We believe in him, and we hope that others will put their faith in him. Uh, and the final movement, become, and that's the transformational work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, that we may look like Jesus in this world, that we may be the people we were created to be.
And uh, it's been interesting as a church to really see how this plays out. What does it look like to actually hold space for belonging when great differences exist among us? It's been a beautiful and a challenging journey. And belief, we've seen people coming to faith in Jesus, and we get to do baptisms a number of times a year. And then there's that become peace. And it's always seemed a little bit ethereal, like, what does that actually mean? What what does that actually look like to become? What's this transformation going to look like in our lives? And so like, in order, belong, believe, become, uh, there are concrete ways to engage, and it becomes less so in each of those latter phases. And this week on the subject of belief, uh, as I was thinking back uh, about belong, believe, become, and looking at the words of Jesus and asking this question of myself, what do I truly believe? I've come to wonder uh, this last week if our ability to experience that transformation, that becoming part, I'm wondering to what extent that hinges upon the, the prior idea, which is believe. I'm wondering to what extent I have not fully believed if that will affect the transformational work that the Spirit's wanting to do in my life. Because, like, here's the difference as, as I've been thinking about it this week. I can say, yeah, I'm okay with this, so I'll go along. And so from that perspective, I can show up on Sundays, and I can do fun social events, and I can be a part of this gathering. But if I were to come to a place that says, I believe that Jesus is the hope for this world, wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't it change the way I engage friends and family and coworkers? Like, if I came to a deep conviction in belief, wouldn't that invite a whole new, remarkable season of transformation? Wouldn't I be so much more open to the work that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in my life if I went beyond the, yeah, I'm okay with this, to the, I believe in Jesus? You know, some of our language that that we use and in general that that Christians use kind of lends itself to understanding um, faith as this linear process. Okay, so even the belong, believe, become, if you look at it, it can, like, first you belong, then you believe, then you become. And, and if we think of faith or belief as this linear process, I, I don't think that accurately reflects this journey of faith. Our, our journey of belief and becoming is actually constant. They're, they're, they're happening, happening at the same time and it's messy and it's complex and it's a multifaceted process. I mean, let's think about this journey. God exists in relationship. So the Father, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and He's invited us into relationship. And so this journey is going to be a relational and an experiential journey. So we have knowledge of who is God. Who is Jesus was the question that's being asked in scripture today. But also there's this part of this, the interaction and the involvement in our relationship with God in our daily lives. If you think about it, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God lives within us. God has chosen to be so present that God lives within us and is constantly around us. So this relationship is meant to impact everything 
about our lives. It's meant to impact who we are, how we think, how we understand the world, how we engage in this world, how we live, what our life is to be about. It's completely, this journey of faith is in a relational landscape. And so I think about the importance of, of knowing who God is and being aware of God. Right? So eyes to see. God, give me, that's often a prayer of mine. God, give me eyes to see where you are working and what you are doing in my life and in our community. That's super important. Also, it's super important and vital that we understand um, who we are. So like self-awareness and self knowledge like what is going on in my in my heart what is going on deep down in my soul what is going on in my head why am i responding the way i am who am i in this moment and and what is god calling me to because i think sometimes the holy spirit is wanting to do a work in our lives and wanting to transform part of our lives and and when the spirit tells us this we're like yeah but that's not me <laughs> i don't i don't have a problem with hatred I don't have a problem with jealousy. No, I, I don't have a problem loving my family. And the, and the Holy Spirit may be trying to change something in us, but we're not self-aware enough to even be able to go there with God. So in this relational landscape, it's important to, to be aware and have knowledge of God, important to be self-aware and self, have self-knowledge, and also to be aware and knowledge of others. Like, we're not an island, we, we live with people. We engage people. So to, to be able to focus on that and think about how my relationship is impacting others and how am I going to engage. So today we're challenging you, and, and I hope that this week this question is in your mind. What do I believe? And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60 years. Like, I want you to ask that question still today. And some of us are newer in our faith journey, and so it's probably always on our mind. But what do I believe is the question we're asking you to go with this week. And I want to acknowledge that a part of this journey, even of belief, is one of questioning and doubt. It is a journey in which those can coexist. My belief and my questions, my belief and my doubt. I'm reminded of a man who approaches Jesus asking that he would heal his child. And uh, Jesus asks the man, do you believe? And the man says, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a beautiful statement. It's so real. And so I want to be real this morning. I mean, will we say, yes, I want you to believe in Jesus and allow God to transform your life in that, in that posture of belief? Yeah, we're asking that of you, but I also want to acknowledge that every one of us, myself included, has questions and doubts in this journey of belief. So we're invited today to continue or to start wherever you're at, this journey of faith in Jesus. And it's about believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, the hope for all humanity. And that, that belief would, would just take root within us. And that through the Holy Spirit, we would become our true selves, the, the selves we were created to be, and that is the image bearers 
of God, the reflection of Jesus to the world. And we are invited to engage in that journey. And it is one that you'll, we'll never be done with. <laughs> like it's one that requires us to continually say yes and to engage yes to believing in Jesus. Yes to allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. As we close today, we're going to take communion together. And communion is one of the ways that the Christian church for the last 2,000 years has practiced believing in Jesus, right? This is a statement of belief as we take communion. Communion, the bread represents his body broken on a cross and the, blood, and, and, and the juice, his blood poured out. And so we come together to remember that. And we come together in community to take communion, remembering that this is communion both with God and with each other. Together we make this statement. We profess our belief in Jesus as we take communion. And we remember his love and his sacrifice in that. So this morning we're going to take communion, and that'll be the final element. We'll close out with a prayer after that. Uh, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to go and take communion. It's on the tables at the back and in the middle. Go ahead and uh, grab that communion and bring it back to your seat, and we're going to all take it together. Just as a little bit deeper element of that, we together make the statement. Now, if you're newer to faith, um, uh, you are welcome to take communion with us as a step towards belief. Anyone here is welcome to take communion with us today. Understand it's not at all required, and it's not strange if you choose not to. That's perfectly okay as well. But today, we're going to take communion together. So in a moment, I'll say a prayer. I'll invite you to go grab the communion, bring it back to your seat with you, and we'll take communion together as we close out today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to be together. Um, Jesus, we thank you for your love and sacrifice. And Spirit, we invite you to work in us and to teach us that we might know more of you. Uh, God, where there is doubt, where there is confusion, um, where there are questions, we invite you to speak and to work in us. And today, uh, Jesus, we're thankful for your sacrifice, body and blood, uh, for the cleansing and for the new life and hope that you have invited us to through that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to grab communion. Feel free to grab it for your neighbor, bring it back to them, and uh, we'll take communion together. So together, we remember his body broken for us. And his blood poured out for us. As we leave here today... May we continue to come to know God more and more. May we know and experience who Jesus is, the Son of God, our Savior. May we grow in our self-awareness of what we believe about ourselves. And if we truly do believe what God says about us, May we grow in our awareness of others and how our, our actions and our words and our engagement with others, how that is received. And as individuals and as a, as a body, 
May we reflect the love of Jesus to our families and to our neighbors and to our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.